1: We are reading all of John chapter 5 today. So we're kicking off our new series in John. So turn with me to John chapter 5 on the Church Bibles. It's on page 864 and it will be on the screen behind me. John chapter 5. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate... A pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five coloured colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralysed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool, When the water is stirred, while I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? (coughs) The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live. And those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just for I seek not to please myself but him who sent me. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favour, and I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John, and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have a testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing... Testify that the Father has sent me, and the Father who sent me has himself testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he sent. You study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from human beings. But I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. How can you believe, since you will accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? But do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses that you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? Oh,
0: well, it was great hearing uh, the whole chapter read out, being able just to sit and hear God speak. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to get going. I might move this. Uh, let's, Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us. We thank you for the way that you come to us in a way that we can know you, that you communicate, you use words. But Father, more than that, we know that you have come to us in your son, Jesus, that we can meet you personally and know you deeply by meeting and walking with Jesus. And so far we pray as we think about who your son is this morning, think about who he is and what he came to do, that you would uh, grow us in a deeper conviction of our relationship with you and even stir us, Father, in how um, we might be able to even enter into a relationship with you as well. And we just pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, How or, or what or how do you get someone to do something you want? What is your go-to way of getting somebody to do what you want them to do? How do you get someone to work? I was thinking about this this week out of this passage and, you know, I was keen to hear what people thought so I jumped on Facebook and asked the question, you know, what's your life hack of getting someone to do something for you? And here are some of the responses to add to yours. That's rolling around in your head. Uh, Get them... Uh, give them an offer that they can't refuse, Uh, tell them that it is good for them, Uh, grace, don't compel them, Uh, gratitude cultivates generosity or willingness, Uh, ask nicely, Uh, don't ask, just direct, Uh, list the benefits and the positives, use a cattle prod, (laughs) talk it over, I've even heard uh, one, uh, just conversations around churches, uh, convince them it was their idea. I think that was in the context of why I was trying to get the husbands to do something. <laughs> convince them it was their idea and it works. I'm sure you've got lots of ideas in your head or potentially some of your own little go-to ways of getting someone in your life or getting people to do stuff for you. And it might be one of those, it might not be. But I wonder if we were... To think about a different relationship, how do we get God to work? One of you have ever asked that question, uh, how do I get God to do something? How do I uh, get to see God uh, work in my life? Well, if you've ever asked that question, you're not alone. We're not alone. uh, Because there's people in this passage that we're going to meet who are asking that question. Asking the question of how do we get God to do something? So let's pick up the story uh, in John chapter 5. If you've got your Bibles there, you're welcome to follow along. The passages will be on the screen. Uh, but let's jump in. John chapter 5 verses 1 to 6. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem uh, for one of the Jewish festivals. Uh, now, there uh, is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, A pool. Which in Aramaic is called uh, Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people uh, used to lie the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there has been an invalid for 38 years. A certain man, Jesus. Or oh, John tells us, has been laying there for 38 years. So, entering the city of Jerusalem, Jesus is walking past a pool. This pool has a particular reputation, a reputation that uh, if you can be the first person in the water, when it bubbles up or stirs up or moves, that you will get access, that you will get Healing. Restoration from your physical brokenness. And so there are these people waiting to be healed. Hundreds of sick people, blind, uh, crippled, paralyzed, gathering, waiting, hoping, expecting that if they could just be the first one in the water, that they uh, would get God to work in their life. He would have mercy on them. He would rescue them. He would heal them. And so, you know, straight away, this isn't you know, your typical pool or spa. You know, Sarah and I have been taking Hosea to um, swimming lessons uh, down at Kingston, and I tell you what, when we jump in the pool, nothing special is happening. Um, no one's getting healed. Um, Hosea doesn't magically start swimming on his own. No, this is a unique belief expectation that these people have that if they could just get in this pool they would get God to work and as Jesus is walking he notices a man an invalid the word invalid is a bit weird it just means a particular man a certain man this man one of the many Jesus notices one this one and we're told in verse 5 that he has been laying there for a very very long time potentially 38 years One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. This man could have spent what is likely his entire life waiting by this pool. He could have potentially spent his whole life trying to get healed. He could have spent his entire life expecting that if he could just get himself in the water first, he would be made well. If he could just get himself into the water, God would work in his life. Because in his mind... That's where God's presence and power is found. That's how he gets God's presence and power in his life by getting himself into this pool. And so Jesus notices him and he speaks to him. He asks asks this man in verse 6 Do you want to get well? Do you want to get well? It is an odd question. Of course he does. That's this is what he says, well, as much as what he says in verse 7, of, you know, of course I do, but I can't get myself in the pool fast enough. It's an odd question because the answer is obvious. Of course this man wants to get well. Why on earth would you spend potentially 38 years lying beside this pool hum, after humiliation after humiliation of just not being able to get yourself in the pool? Of course this man wants to be healed, but... What is Jesus asking? Well, we all know what it's like to wash dishes. Whether you have a dishwasher at home like us, there's still those things that you do just have to wash by hand. There's pots, there's pans, things that just don't go in the dishwasher. And so, you know, washing a pan or a a pot, i have got these nice big cast iron ones at home. I love cooking on them. Not that I do much cooking, but you've got to scrub them. So they're scrubbing, you know, with some soap and... And, you know, Sarah comes to me and she asks, uh, do you want to make that pan clean? Well, yeah, I'm washing it. Of course I do. What else would I be doing if not that, with this pan in the sink, washing it? And as far as I'm aware, that's what I'm doing. This is the way I know how to do it. And so the, uh, the, the question, do you want to make that pot clean, it gets under my skin, doesn't it? It, it, asks, it forces me to ask the question, well, am I doing something wrong? Is there another way to wash a pan that I somehow don't know? If I'm in a really bad like, you know, headspace, it might even make me question my entire way or approach of washing dishes. If not like this, well then... Man, what have I been doing for the last 30 years? Jesus' question isn't trivial about washing dishes. Jesus' question gets to the heart of life, of things, of being a person. And it cuts to the heart. He asks, is this how God works? Underneath Jesus' question, do you want to be healed is this underlying question of, is this the way you'll get God to do something? Jesus' uh, question is meant to get under the skin to get this man to think if laying waiting and trying to get himself into the pool is going to get God to do something. And so pick up uh, the verse with me. Jesus, after asking the question, says to the man, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. And at once, the man picks up his mat and walks. But in the following verses, we discover that the man at the pool isn't the only one who is trying to get God to work in, uh, in his life. We, uh, in verse 10, we meet uh, the Jewish religious leaders. Look at me at verse 10. Uh, The day on which this took place, the healing at the pool. And so the Jewish religious leaders said to the man um, who had been healed, it is the Sabbath, the law forbids that you carry your mat. What's with their response? It's way out of place, it's a crazy response, it doesn't make sense. So why? Why doesn't it make sense? Why is this so out of place? Why would someone, any right person, respond to what has just happened in this way? Because they think that they will get God to work in their life if only they keep God's law. The Jewish religious leaders think that God will work if they keep God's law, particularly uh, the law of the Sabbath. Now, the Sabbath was a particular day, the seventh day in the week, where God's people were meant to rest. They were meant to stop their work. To rest, to be with their God. And, you know, there's a long history to God's law, a long history to God's people, and particularly the Sabbath, and the Old Testament tells that big story where God's people, the Jews or Israel, were God's chosen people to make him known to the rest of the world so that the rest of the world might come to know God and be with him and belong to him. Uh, but uh, like we saw uh, last week uh, when Danny was here preaching he helpfully gave us this idea that you know this, the law um, and the land and the temple and, and the kings that God gave his people were meant to be symbols of their relationship with him outward signs that they belonged to him, that God was at work in their life, in their people and so one of those laws was the Sabbath and the picture that we got last week was that uh, the, the law, among the other things that God gave them, was this sign or a symbol, like a wedding ring is. How a wedding ring marks, um, is a, mar- a mark or a symbol or a sign, an outward sign of a very deep and intimate relationship. But what happens then uh, if the ring comes off the finger? What if the ring stays off the finger? although the ring isn't the relationship, removing it says something, particularly if it stays off. It says that at the very least, you know, I don't want to be associated with this kind of relationship, with this kind of person. And so as God's people slowly began to no longer wear the symbol of the Sabbath, as they they no longer stopped to be with God, their relationship with God naturally splintered and separated. And so the Jewish religious leaders of Jesus' day thought, well, if we just put the ring back on the finger, if we just start keeping the Sabbath, keeping the law again, that is what will make God work again in our lives. That's what's going to get us back into God's presence and experience God's power again. But like the man at the pool... His attitude is, I just need to get myself into this pool first and then I will get God to work. And it's the same attitude of the religious leaders. One, wonder if you notice that by keeping the law, by keeping the Sabbath, then we'll get God to work. And here is Jesus at the pool on the Sabbath breaking those expectations of how God works. On the Sabbath and at the pool, Jesus says, get up pick up your mat and walk, and that once the man gets up and walks. Jesus' miracle points to the bigger and deeper reality that God's presence and power is found in Jesus. The miracles of Jesus point to that bigger and deeper reality that God works in Jesus. But at the heart of the pool, at the heart of the Sabbath is in the the man's mind and the religious leader's mind is that this is the way of do and don't, the way of control, the way of religion. It's that old temptation of believing and pinning our hopes on me, on what I do and don't do and my efforts and it's what I do that will somehow impress God enough to do something in my life. And it plays out in those two ways. It's where I focus on what I have got to do and also what I should not do. And of course these things are important. But they are not at the heart of what gets God to work in our life. In fact, Jesus calls this attitude sin in verse 14. It's that Jesus says, sin no longer. No longer think this way. No longer live this way. Of trying to get God to work in your life by pleasing him by doing the things you think you need to do and not, and not do. The way of the pool and the way of the Sabbath both expect God to work through what we do and don't do. You know, it's the expectation that if I do X, I will get Y. If I get into the pool, I'll get God to work. If I keep the Sabbath, I'll get God to work in my life. It's impersonal and transactional way of getting God to work. And this is not how God works. It's not who God is. So how are you looking to God in an impersonal and transactional way? In what areas in your life do you think if I just do this thing then I will get God to do this in my life? How does this maybe impact the way you read your Bible? how you come to church, how you love those God has placed in your life? Are you seeing your relationship with God in an impersonal and transactional way? Because God's way of working is personal and relational. God works through the man, Jesus. And so the question isn't so much then, how do I get God to work? The question is, how is God already working? And Jesus shows us that God's power and presence is working in him. So why Jesus? Why does God choose to work through Jesus and not the pool and not necessarily the Sabbath? Why Jesus? God chooses to work through Jesus because Jesus is his son. See what Jesus says says in verse 17 and 18? My father is always at work uh, to this very day, and I too am working. And for this reason, uh, the Jewish religious leaders try to kill him, not just because he was breaking the Sabbath, but because he was breaking some other expectation that God is working in this man, in him. And what that is saying is, by calling him his father, they get that Jesus is making himself equal with God. And so Jesus goes on to unpack this for us. Because it's a pretty wild idea. Verses 19 to 29, Jesus explains what it means for him to be God's son. Is to be God. Essentially what Jesus is saying is, like father, like son. It's that age old saying, isn't it? Like father, like son. Or you can say, uh, like parent, like child. For me, this is coming into you know, to mean something in a whole new way with Hosea, uh, my first son, five months old. And, you know, as we kind of figure out what life looks like with a five-month-old, Sarah's been particularly reading up on uh, how Hosea will grow and develop. And one of the big ways that happens is through him watching us. One of the particular things that that hit me is that as a boy... uh, Hosea will be watching me. He'll be watching me, learning from me, becoming like me. In some ways, Hosea will do what I do, say what I say, learn the things that I do, love what I love, hate what I hate you know unless we have more kids you know God willing we will but if we don't Hosea will be the only person in the world who will really be like me than anybody else because he's the only one who's been exposed to me the way he is is crying now losing the plot is lamenting the fact that he's my son <laughs> I would too (laughs) Um, no one else is exposed to me in the way that Hosea is and so he will uniquely take on who I am in a way that nobody else will nobody else even could if they wanted to even if Sarah wanted to become more like me She couldn't do. She that could not happen in the way that Hosea will get to be like me, because of the way of the way our relationship works, like father, like son. And so, not only will Hosea take on my likeness in every way, in many ways, a son is the only one who can do and be like their father. And this is what Jesus is saying. As he goes on in verses 19 uh, to 23, Jesus makes a point the Son does what the Father does. Notice, and particularly notice verses 19 and 20. The Son can do nothing by himself, uh, he can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all, all he does. In verses 24 and 26, Jesus again. Builds on that point that the son does what the father does because the son shares in the father's nature. Particularly, notice with me verse twenty six: for as the father has life in himself, so the son has granted, so he has granted the son to have life in himself. Jesus is saying, "I do what the father does. I do what God does because." I am the Father's Son because I am God. But what is the Father doing through the Son? What what are the Father and the Son up to? Well, they're bringing life. And we saw that in verses 21, 24 and 25. Let me just read them for you so you can have them afresh in your mind. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. God is working through his Son to bring life and restoration, to, go, to bring people from death to life. And the man at the pool is a window into what this looks like. It looks like being raised. Jesus says to him, rise, get up. And the man rises and he gets up to new life. Jesus can do this because he is God, because he is the father's son. God doesn't work impersonally and transactionally. God works personally and relationally through his son. God works through people coming into relationship with Jesus. This is how God has chosen to work. And so when it comes to the question of how is God working, any of our answers that exclude or remove or add to Jesus are immediately false are immediately unrealistic because this is God's plan A. And Jesus goes on to say that in the rest of the chapter. In verses 30 to 47, uh, Jesus goes on to say, Look, God has chosen to work this way and he has always chosen to work this way. This is God's plan A, not plan B or C. And we see that this is no secret. Jesus says in um, in these verses, that there are five witnesses. And they'll be highlighted on the screen for us. John the Baptist in verses 33 to 35 is a witness that Jesus appeals to to confirm what he's saying. Jesus also points to his spirit-empowered miracles in verse 36. Next, uh, it is God the Father himself is called as a witness in verse 37 and 38. And then Jesus points to the Bible itself, the Scriptures, in verses 39 to 44. Finally, Jesus then points to Moses. In verses 45 to 47. This is no secret that God has chosen to work through Jesus. God always expected to work through his son. So the question is, do your expectations of how God work, how God works in your life align with how God has chosen to work in and through his son, Jesus. Because deep down, we all have these expectations of how God will work in a particular way. We all have deep down expectations of how God would work. And these two characters in this chapter are a window into our deep-seated, unrealistic expectations of how God's presence and power works in our life. Unrealistic, not in the sense that God can't. God can do anything He wants. He could speak through one of these lights if He really wanted to. But God has actually chosen to work through His Son. It's unrealistic because doesn't, God does not work impersonally because that's not who God is. God doesn't choose to work transactionally because that is not what God wants. God... Works personally and relationally through his son because he wants a personal relationship with us. And so, how does God work through Jesus in our life? How does this might practically look like for us? And I think verses 37 and 38 give us a window into this. So, hang with me, it's a little bit convoluted because what Jesus is doing here, he's having a crack, he's having a go at the Jewish religious leaders for not doing this. He says to them uh, in verse 37 and 38, you have never heard his voice, you have never seen his form, Um, you don't have his word dwelling in you or abiding in you, for you don't believe the one he sent, for you don't believe me. God works new life in us through his son abiding in us, through having a deep connection with Jesus. And this happens through hearing, seeing, and believing. So if we were to reword what Jesus is saying in a more positive way, it could sound like this. God has sent me so that you would believe in me by hearing me, by seeing the form of God so that you would abide in me. How God works in your life is through his son being with you through his son belonging to you and you belonging to him. This happens through hearing, seeing and believing. Instead of abiding in a pool, instead of abiding in that attitude or the, the belief that what I do will get God to work, instead of abiding in the, in the law and that attitude of um, what I shouldn't do will get God to work in my life. We have the attitude of abiding in Jesus. Jesus. No, God works when I am with him and belong to him. And this is hard. I I wonder if you resonated in particular with any of those characters, with the religious leaders or, or with the man at the pool. It is hard to see God working in a way you don't expect. Particularly when you're so consumed in doing, 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 doing like the religious leaders are. When you're so consumed in maybe your pain and suffering, you're waiting. Maybe you've spent 38 years doing, doing, doing. Maybe you spent 38 years waiting, waiting and waiting. God calls us now, like this man at the pool, to stop and notice to see, to hear, and believe. Whether you're not a Christian at all, or whether you've been a Christian for your whole life, to slow down right now. Hear. See, hear. Believe that God works his presence and power in your life, not through what you do or what you don't do, but through you having a personal relationship with Jesus, with him abiding in you. What does this abiding do? What does the believing produce in us? What is this life that he wants for us? What is this new life? What is this coming from death to life? Well, if you can remember back to the very beginning of John, Jesus said that I have come to give you life. And what does that life look like? In verses 14 yes yeah, I'm trying to find it for us. verse 12 but to all who did receive Jesus for all who would receive in him believe in his name, he would give the right to become children of God. whoever were bo- um, who were born not of blood nor the will of the flesh, not the will of us, our body, our efforts, our do and don't, but by the will of God. This is the life, that this is eternal life. This is what it is to know life, to be known by God as a child of God. To go from death to life, to go from not being a child of God to being a child of God. Of belonging to the one who is life and has life. Belonging to God, belonging to him as a child. This is at the heart of the Christian life, abiding and belonging, being with Jesus. Because this is the prior and primary way that God has chosen to work in your life. Are you so immersed in your way of thinking, expecting and believing and trying to get God to work that you haven't stopped to see that God is already working to this day? through his son, Jesus. So why Jesus? Why him? Why would you pin your hopes on Jesus? Why would you believe in Jesus? Why would you look to him rather than all the other things in the world? Well, because Jesus is where the presence and power of God is found for our life. There, in him. That's where God has chosen to work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you came in your Son from heaven to earth. You became like us so that you might rescue us, so that you might bring us back. So you might bring us home to so where we would know that when we believe and belong to Jesus, we become your children. When we hear you say, you are mine, you are my beloved son, you are my beloved daughter. Father, thank you so much that we get to sing. We are who you say we are. I am who you say I am, that I'm a child of God because of what you've done for us in Jesus, of because that's who we are when we belong to Jesus. Thank you that you do this in him. Thank you that it's not up to us, not up to our effort, not our will, but your will, your loving and pleasing and good will. You choose to make us yours. We pray that we would look to Christ for this. Father, forgive us for looking to what we do and don't do. Father, we're sorry for making this about us, And we just pray that we would make this more about Jesus. Father, help us to see the ways in which we don't look to him. Help us to see where we treat you impersonally and and like a vending machine. Father, and help us to, to now live in a personal relationship with you through and in your son Jesus. Father, we pray this so that we might know you more deeply and experience you in our life uh, more fully. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.